This is Melinda Bell, and you're listening to Caribbean Power Lunch. Podcast World. This is Caribbean Power Lunch, where we feature Black-owned businesses. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and today is all about money! <laughs> <laughs> It's 2020 is the money year. That's right, folks. Hashtag money year. So on the line today, we have the founder and managing director of Astrape Finance Incorporated, which specializes in personal financial planning and business consulting and a self-published author, Mrs. Melinda Bell. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. And so you started off as a as a computer scientist. Then you decided that you fell in love with accounting. No, Melinda, I actually studied banking and finance. I've been working in finance for for over 10 years now. And you cannot pay me to do your accounts for you. So how did you fall in love with accounts? Well, my first job was at a law firm. And I was the accounts officer there. So It was basically a junior position. So I was exposed to QuickBooks and I felt that I was comfortable with it because I was exposed to computer science to do all sorts of software and so on, programming and all that sort of stuff. So then I just started using it and then I realized, oh my gosh, this is something that I really love to do. Wow. I just fell in love with it. But what about it? Did you fall in love? Because I understand as a child, you would, once your parents do groceries, what what you'll do, you'll start a add up the value of of the different items they got something like that yes i always had that entrepreneurial mindset from a little girl when i was in brownies i don't know if anybody in the caribbean was part of brownies but i was like cub scouts and brownies that... cub scouts correct right yes and what i did was that i thought i could start a business with the knitting badge that i got so we were taught to knit and I realized that I could make money with it because we were also taught to use the knitting that we created to create purses. So I figured that I can make money with it. So here I am placing a for sale sign outside of my parents' home. And I just hope that people didn't think that the house was for sale. But (laughs) I just simply wanted people to know that this was there. But I've always always had a fascination with numbers, despite the fact I struggled with subtraction growing up. And not too many people know that. Why subtract anyway? Why, why would you need to subtract? <laughs> well, it's true. Add and multiply, right? That's the whole essence of using money. Correct. But I don't know. It's just something that's ingrained in me naturally. And I don't know if it's something to do with my father being a math teacher because he's a math whiz. So I know if I genetically oh. inherited it. All right. Let's kind of fast forward a good bit, right? Because we have a lot to cover today, right? Sure. Yeah. All right. So on February 29th, a leap year, 2012, you decided to leave your full-time paying job mm-hmm. and start your company, Astrape Finance, with zero dollars. Right? Yeah. Zero dollars. So how did you, you know, the daughter of a math whiz, lover of accounts, decide that you couldn't start a business with zero dollars? How did you go about this? Yes. I'm not somebody that normally takes risk. And I, I, I tell people I don't like taking risk, but I have to go against my natural brain, so to speak. And I just felt it was time for me to put my 100% in it. 
If I'm putting 100% in somebody else's company, building that company, why can I place that effort into my own company? Do you see what I'm saying? So I was always the, the helpful one, the one that's always going the extra mile for the team. So why couldn't I do it? I just felt very strongly that it was the right time. And ironically, it was on a, on a leap year. But when I started with zero dollars, I didn't have any contacts. Nobody knew what I was capable of. But there was one guy that I started work with and it's through working with him that he referred me to other people. So it's through referrals that, you know, our recommendations that people came to know me. Of course, I'm on a budget building a business. So then I started blogging and I've always had that natural ability to write. It's just that I kind of put it on the back burner because I didn't think that I could earn money with it. But the way I see it, writing was a form of communication for me. And that's what I was most comfortable doing then. So it was different things I had to do, networking, letting people know what it is that I do. And um, the rest is history, so to speak. So I had to literally use the sales that I got and reinvest it into the company, whether it's through advertising, through creating the logo, business cards, all that stuff. So I was basically on a shoestring budget. Hey, that's, I mean, I have tremendous amounts of respect for that. And I want to come back to that closer to the end sure. in terms of how do you build a business with zero dollars? Cause I understand in your, in your latest book, My Money and Me, available on Amazon. Yes. That um, you actually, you have a chapter dedicated to how to build a business with zero dollars. So we're going to come back to that. But what I would say though is that, you know, conventional advice is saying that, okay, you, you have your full time job, you save enough. A six month salary, a year's salary, a year's living expenses, all of that, you know, but you decided, hey, well, screw this, I'm out. Yes, that's what I did. And again, it's something that I would not typically do, but I had to take that risk. I had to. So I understand you used to have a very uh, disrespectful attitude when it came to your money. You had a, so I mean, with all this trajectory, all of this, as a child, you're counting up the value of the groceries, your dad being a math whiz and your love for accounts, you still had a, you were still bad with money. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. You know, a lot of people out there, they're earning decent salaries, but they, are they really saving anything? Mm-hmm. Right? So how did you overcome this bad attitude towards money? And what was that attitude towards money like? Like what, what would your behaviors used to be like? Yeah. So my attitude was like, spend today like there is no tomorrow. That was my attitude. And I think I relied on the security of my parents are at home. They're going to take care of me so I can spend however I want. So I remember getting my first paycheck and I did whatever I wanted. I remember having convos with both of my parents. My mother is like, oh, I was telling her, you know what? When I get paid, I'm going to go to spa and all that stuff. And then she's like, Melinda, (laughs) you need to set yourself up first. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. You, You don't know what you're talking about. And then my dad, love my dad. My dad is like, yeah, so you should open an account at the credit union. (laughs) And then I'm thinking, that's a bank for poor people. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. It was terrible. So like, if I felt really down, guess what? I'm going to town and I'm buying stuff in order to make myself feel better. Not knowing and understanding that I thought that things would make me happier. But... Over time, I realized that accumulating things didn't really help. So I had to come face to face with my bad behavior and tell myself, this isn't good enough because you're, you're setting yourself up in a way where 
you're not going to be able to secure your future financially. So what did I do? I opened my laptop. I opened that. So I started budgeting, which was a word I did not like at all. By the way, I don't like tone anymore. And I'm, I'm very hardly, will you really find me in tone? So I just became more focused. And the problem was, was that I didn't have a sense of direction because I wasn't thinking past the present day. But now you can't get me to start thinking about the future because then I have to remind myself, yeah, it's okay to enjoy yourself a little. It's okay to think about the present. So I had a radical mind shift. Okay. I have a friend who told me that when I tried to start budgeting, right? And I'll, I'll tell you about that in a second, right? Yes. The first thing he told me was that, Kevin, KV, to manage your money, you have to manage your emotions. Yes. And this is actually what say, yeah, he's actually been featured on this podcast. He's co-hosted a number of interviews with me, right? Okay. And he he gave me a template, this big budget template that, that was all automatic and streamlined and everything. And I was in the habit for maybe about three to four months where I everything I spend money on. So let's say I go to buy food by this pay by the pound place, right? And my bill was $52.34. I'll make a note on my phone. Okay, go and add $52.34 to, to your budget. I'm going to go on like that, right? And eventually, I just got fed up. I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. You know, and that, again, that lasted like four months and that whole budgeting failed. Mm-hmm. You know, but I understand you have an envelope system for budgeting. <laughs> yes, and I'm not the originator of it. But if people aren't really with the whole budget templates and they get intimidated by it, simply use the envelope system um, in order to track your spending, in order to divide up your money. The wonderful thing about that is that you could actually make a plan for every single cent. So you can mark your envelopes, rent, mortgage, savings, investments, whatever it is, (laughs) utilities, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that if you actually... Use all of your money under fund money. If you have an envelope for fund money, for example, and all of that is run out, there's no going into the utilities envelope and taking it out and putting it in the fund money. The thing is, is that it gets you to stick within your means, stick with what you plan to spend. Okay. All right. So, I mean, obviously, we're not actually taking cash and putting them in, in a separate envelopes in our drawer, right? Not essentially, but it depends on the individual. Because there are some people who prefer, I know of, of people who prefer to use their card. When I say card, I mean debit cards to track their spending. And then there's some people who take off cash or they need to take off cash. Maybe that might be more suitable for somebody who works on a weekly basis. All right. So let's talk about developing that financial intelligence, right? And we're going to come back to that envelope budgeting as well, right? Sure. No problem. All right. So you have, you have about four principles or at least four, four keys to developing financial intelligence, right? And the first one is knowing that you are intelligent. Yes. How do I know that I'm intelligent? How do you know? Uh, people think that being intelligent has a lot to do with your grades. Yes, it's just a confirmation. Taking the test is just a confirmation of your intelligence. But you don't only want to rely on that. What you want to rely on are your natural abilities. Your natural abilities are what make you intelligent. And if I could be a little vulnerable, I was labeled a slow learner at school, in primary school, just because, like I said earlier, I struggle with subtraction. 
So walking around with that for years, I was thinking that, well, there's nothing that's absolutely special about me. There's no way that I could earn money. There's no way that somebody would take me seriously. But then I had the assistance of a coach at that time. And she asked me to introduce myself. At which time is this? That was around 2013, 14. Okay. I think right after, because honestly, I, I found myself gaining the weight of the growth of the company. So I didn't want anybody to know me because I did not understand that people do business with people, not companies. Right. Right. So it meant that I had to put myself out there. And believe me, I am inherently shy, naturally. So I had to learn to be assertive and to speak and so on. But it was only then when she asked me to introduce myself. I mean, there's nobody there, but I had to speak over myself. So she said, you know, say something. And I'm like, hi, my name is Melinda and I'm brilliant. And it was at that instant that I finally understood that I am. It's because I have the ability to teach. And again, I inherited that from my mother and father because they're both retired teachers. I love numbers. I love to equip and empower people. And that's when I understood that that's what makes me intelligent. So like people who are great with their hands, I mean, I know I can't create a sculpture to save my life, (laughs) (laughs) but there's somebody who's really crafted in that area that could earn a living with it. And that's what makes them intelligent. But I think that there's so much emphasis on education. I'm not saying that becoming certified and qualified isn't important as well, but it's those soft skills that are important also. And they are, are what would make you intelligent. So you also mentioned that one of the keys is to know someone smarter than you. And I think this is extremely important. You know, one of the conventional things is that you are the average of the five people around you, right? And we were joking earlier and I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm breaking down your average right now. <laughs> no, Kevin, you're not breaking down my average. <laughs> Talk about the importance of knowing someone smarter than you. I mean, if I can't talk about my coloring book, how it came to be, if that's fine, briefly. Of course, Lampy. Yes, Lampy. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't do that all by myself because I know there are people who are skilled in different areas than I am. And the thing is about me is that I'm not someone who's insecure about somebody being stronger in something that I am not really that great at. So I knew that I needed a project manager to keep things going because I know that I am not great with the details. I'm great with the writing. I'm great with the creating. I knew that I needed someone to format the coloring book because I'm not great at that. And I knew I needed someone to illustrate. Okay. And then somebody senior who's been in teaching for a number of years to actually go over and make sure that it was suitable for that age group and that it was easy to follow. So I'm not someone that's closed off to people who know more than me. And I know that if I have people on board who are, who are much more skilled in the area than I am, it makes what I'm offering stronger. So that's what I mean by knowing someone smarter than you. In other words, you could call it like someone who has greater strengths than you do that could complement your weakness. And that's how you could earn a living. You could create something. Okay. So it's not about being a jack of all trades and a master of none. Oh, no, not at all. You know, but that's funny because, you know, let's say you're, you're starting a business, you have zero dollars, right? You have yes. zero dollars, <laughs> but you need to get all of these things off the ground so mm-hmm. that your product is out there. So, I mean, you have zero dollars again. So how do you, how do you go ahead and, and um, like 
get and partner with people or be able to contract people to provide these services which you are not an expert in for example like me and audio editing how do you do that how do you go about doing that so i dealt with it on a contract basis whatever your fee is for the project you just let me know and then i pay you accordingly so i don't have like full-time staff you don't need to put yourself under pressure as an entrepreneur to have full-time staff and be paying their nas and poa no you can just simply work out an agreement and arrangement and just Hire them on a contract basis. So yeah, that's how I do it. Interesting. So you talk about redefining your financial culture. Mm-hmm. You grow up learning things and seeing things and examples in the home. Sometimes we inherit genetic traits in our behaviors. And sometimes you might think, oh, this is how I am. This is how it'll always be. This is the way it's always been done but you can determine what your trajectory would be like. Anytime I have meetings with my clients, I ask them the first very thing and it always jumps them. What was it like growing up? What I got to do with money? Why are you asking me that question? I'm like, well, there's certain things that would have helped shape your philosophy about money. If you were abandoned as a child, well, then you may behave in a certain way with your money to ensure, you know what, this is happening to me again. You may have not had a great relationship with your mother. You may not have had a great relationship with your father. Your grandparents had to raise you. You might have had to take care of your siblings. I mean, those. this is real life. These things happen. So it's really, really crucial to get to the root of the issue as to why you do behave the way you do with your money. So basically what I'm trying to say is that what you saw in the home, and I'm not saying that there are probably good examples that you saw, but what you saw in the home, you don't have to repeat that cycle again. You don't. I remember being told by a family member that I will always be in debt. No matter what I do, I will always be in debt. And I really purposed in my heart that that's not going to be the legacy that I'm going to have or the legacy that I'm going to leave behind. So that's what I talk about in terms of redefining your financial culture, just breaking the money cycle, breaking the behaviors you would have seen being portrayed in the home and behaving the opposite, choosing to be the opposite of what you would have seen. Yeah, and I was interested that you mentioned behaviors, right? Because, I mean, as you say in the book, right, personal finance is actually linked to behavior, right? How we feel about ourselves. It is. The way we behave is closely connected to our access to money and how we manage it, right? Yes. So you talk about some behaviors and mindsets that affect how we manage our money, right? So keeping up with the Joneses, right? How we want to compare ourselves to others and compete. You want to fit in. You know, can you just expound on that a little bit? I think that's really important for the listeners, yeah. No, no problem. Um, the need to fit in. Believe it or not, adults have to deal with peer pressure as well. Yeah. It doesn't start when you leave school, and it gets more expensive. Yes, it You know, I, my car outside, <laughs> my car outside is 12 years old. People be saying, but Kevin, when are you going to buy a new car? Listen, well, I don't pay any bank loan on this, you know. I own this, you know. Exactly. <laughs> and that's my intention too for mine. <laughs> but yeah, so you feel that if you spend a certain amount or have a certain lifestyle, that's the only way you're going to fit in with some people who don't really care about you. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense doing that. And then there's, there's being discontent. 
not being happy with what you have. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't seek to improve yourself or, you know, build yourself up. I'm not saying that, but you have a house, you have a car, everybody's clothed, everybody's fed. Be happy with what you have and you're less likely to go against where you're going financially. And I'm not saying that there would not be a desire for more, please. I'm not saying you deny that side of you because we're all human, but what you really want to do is to make sure you stay within your means. Compare yourself unfairly with others. And that's something that I struggled with. And sometimes I struggle with, if I could be honest. Right. So you think other people are better than you, smarter than you, all those things. I had to get over that. Because I was thinking that other people were supposed to be seen other than myself. Why would anybody want to listen to the whole old me? So that could affect your willingness to go after opportunities to better yourself. So I'm saying, yeah, you are worthy of whatever opportunity, especially if it's going to make your financial situation better for you. Being fearful, and that's something that, I have had to work on as well, too. If I'm fearful about something and I focus on it, it's going to become so magnified and bigger than it actually is. I can't function. I can't move. Therefore, I can't work. And therefore, it impacts on my ability to earn. So I have to be very intentional every day about getting up and focusing on what's going right. And it goes back to not being discontent. It goes back to Compare yourself unfairly with others and then competing with others, believe it or not. Some people use their money to get back at other people. Money is not a weapon. Money should not be used as a weapon. Money is a tool and you should be focused on building up your financial legacy, not trying to copy or not trying to be better than somebody else because you know what? You're wasting resources and you are steadily you know, pulling yourself back. And you're not progressing further. Okay, so we talk about practicing delayed gratification and contentment. What does that look like? Because, I mean, I, I could imagine people hearing this and, and hear their mom or their, or their grandparents tell them this and rolling their eyes. Okay, all right. <laughs> but if you, were to, if you were to actually visualize this, what does what does contentment and delayed gratification look like in a practical sense? Well, delayed gratification... It's just basically sleeping on a purchase. So very practical. You see something that you really, really like. You know what? Stop. Don't buy anything. Go home, sleep. If you wake up in the morning and you realize that you don't need it, you didn't need it in the first instance. So that's just a practical way of looking at it. And it is not meant to punish you, but it is is more to help you develop that discipline that you would need. I think I went the extra mile in terms of disciplining myself, in terms of delayed gratification. I decided that I'm going to cut up my credit card and close my credit card account. I don't have a credit card. Oh, God. Okay. Well, I mean, extreme, but we'll get to that. Quite extreme. We're going to talk about debt management in a little bit. Sure. That's fine. And then the third current conception is just an incise money for spending later. If you're somebody like me that needs to travel to get away and actually have a holiday, right? Because I don't want people to feel like practicing deferred current consumption is, you know, you punishing yourself. 
all that it means is that you're just making sure that there's money to spend in the future rather than you having to break your budget right now in order to make that large purchase. That's all it means. That's all it means. Good. Yeah. So let's have a little discipline. Be an adult, all right? Yeah, be an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And of course, don't compare yourself with others, all right? We spoke about it. Yes. Yes, we have. Correct. All right. I'm going to talk just a little bit about managing your financial self-esteem. So in terms of your financial self-esteem, this is something that I think we as Caribbean people struggle with into thinking that if you want a better lifestyle for yourself in terms of financial freedom, that you're being greedy, you're being arrogant, you're being overweight, and all that stuff. That's not true. With financial freedom comes the ability to accomplish more financial goals, okay? I think that we have been tricked into believing that if we think good things about ourselves, if we toot our own horns, that it means that we think that we are better than anybody. Well, did you know that false humility is not thinking so great about yourself? That's false humility. That humility. Yeah. It's not. So I'm speaking of it from a sense of recognizing your worth and your talent and recognizing you are worth every single opportunity that comes your way. That's where I'm coming from. So it's really important also while you're going through your financial transition, don't on yourself because people tend to think that if you have a certain amount of money in the bank account, it means that you're this great and awesome person. Right. But also people tend to think that if I have a larger amount of money, then I'll be happy. But no, if you get that larger amount of money, you're not going to be happy. That's just the truth. If you don't choose to be happy, no. And happy, being happy has nothing to do with your feelings. I mean, yeah, you know, it's a result of you doing what you love and enjoying yourself, being around family or your loved one. But I mean, in terms of if you don't decide to be happy with where you're at right now and you are taking the necessary steps to correct whatever financial mistakes you and I might make, it just means that you need to be happy with yourself. You don't need to come down hard on yourself. And it's something that I've had to deal with in terms of guilt, in terms of thinking I should be in a better position that I am in. Because again, you're looking at other people and you're seeing where they're at and you think that they're better off than you. But no, you should still esteem yourself while you're going through your transition. But money is not meant to make you happy. It can't and it won't. It just won't. Okay. You know, it's funny when you say that um, having a larger bank account will not make you happy. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people say, well, I don't like the opportunity to, to get that money and see if I could somehow finance or buy my happiness, right? Mm-hmm. But what makes you say that with absolution? There are millionaires who, who commit suicide. Drops mic. <laughs> <laughs> they commit suicide. They have all of this money and it doesn't seem to make it any easier or better for them. Like there's a designer lady. Is it Kate Spade? Mm-hmm. So the designer Kate Spade, she committed suicide, unfortunately, but yet she was well-known. She was wealthy and all that stuff. So And it might have been a very extreme example to use, but, you know, it's just to hit it home that no matter the amount of money you have, this is never going to make you happier. Okay. And so it goes back to what you were talking about before in terms of actually creating that that happiness internally. 
before and position and mindset that money making mindset for hashtag money 2020? Yes, money 2020. I mean, money gives you options to do other things. So, but it's it's a tool. It's not a source of happiness. It's a tool. Indeed, indeed. And you know, the thing is, money conversations make a lot of people uncomfortable, a lot of Caribbean mm-hmm. and black people uncomfortable. They but do. Even worse than money, and like, and you were talking about it before, is the debt conversation. That makes people cringe a little bit, you know? Yes, it does. So you have a chapter in the book dedicated towards becoming less dependent on debt. And you speak about the debt snowball. I love, I love images. All right. So can you let us kind of draw that debt snowball for me? Mm-hmm, sure thing. So let's say, oh, I don't know if you all remember watching cartoons, Daffy Duck, Bugs Bunny, right? Mm-hmm. So like they would be at the top of the mountain and then they end up rolling down the hill and they turn into a snowball. And then as they roll down further the hill, it becomes larger and larger. That's the debt snowball. So let's say, for example, you have debt number one, which you're paying $100. Debt number two, you're paying $200. Debt number three, you're paying $300, okay? So you're still servicing all of your debts, okay? Now, the thing with managing your debt, and as much as possible if you can, pay more than the minimum amount due. Because if you pay the minimum amount due, they're not going to put that full amount onto your loan. What they're going to do is that they're going to take off interest and then leave the remainder of that amount and put it to the loan or credit card. So then it keeps you longer in debt. I have a Suzuki Swift that I am paying off and I really much would like to pay off before it is due. I'm yet to check to see if they're going to penalize me for paying it in advance. And I hope not because I think that is ridiculous. But I know that this is what happens for mortgages, I believe, that if you pay off before the time you and your lender would have agreed to, you would have to pay a penalty for being (laughs) a good man or a good woman. Okay, so with the debt snowball, what you want to keep in mind is that you're paying more than a minimum amount due. So you could choose to attack the debt with the highest interest rate. Or you could choose to attack the debt with the smallest balance to give you that momentum. So you have basically paid off debt number one and you're placing that amount from debt number one to debt number two. Remember debt number one, you're paying 100 and debt number two, you're paying $200. So $100 plus $200 is now $300 you're putting into debt number two. And then when you finish paying off debt number two, then you can place the amount of money from debt number one and debt number two to debt number three. So you're basically adding $100 and $200 to $300 paying off debt number three, which is $600. And then you finish paying it off. I've been told <laughs> while they conduct my workshops that it may not be possible to place the full amount from the previous debt. I totally understand that. But at least pay more than the normal amount that you would normally pay towards it. That way it would help you get out of that quicker. But the key is to not take that $100 or the $200 that you just kind of freed up mm-hmm. and buy Starbucks lattes. Yes. So you can look into the debt snowball. And in terms of debt management, another thing you could look into is debt consolidation, where you actually complain your debt. So you're like paying varying interest rates for different debt that you're in. 
But then what you do is complain it and then you end up paying for one interest rate. But the thing is, is that if you have three credit cards, you're cutting up those three credit cards and canceling those accounts. Okay. (laughs) So it doesn't mean that you're digging yourself into a deeper hole. That's what I'm saying. It is not a matter of fact that I went cold turkey when I chose to not have a credit card. It's just that I was tired of seeing money go away frivolously, you know, coming out of my pocket into the creditor's pockets. And I know myself, that's the key, that if I see something, I'm going to want to swipe. (laughs) So what about your money and you? I know myself and I'm not saying that other people have to go cold turkey. You could choose to lower your limit, for example. Right. That's another strategy you could take. Because just like what you're saying before, in terms of money being a tool, a credit card could be a tool as well. I totally get that. It could be a double-edged sword. It could. It once managed properly, it could actually help you acquire a lot of things or that you wouldn't be able to acquire otherwise. And once you, again, once you manage it properly, you won't be paying any interest. But I guess that's an advanced level. So I mean, first, we just want to get people to, to understand the principles, yeah. you know? So Indeed. Right? And you talk about obtaining other, another source of income. You, you say that like, you know, like just go get up and just get another source of income tomorrow. No, it's not going to occur just like that. No, I know that. I know that for sure. It's just a matter of, I don't know, testing the market, finding out if what you have is something that people are looking for. And there are free things that you could do in order to determine if this thing is of you know value to people. They're serving monkey and they allow you to like create service that you could send. And once you get a healthy response, then you could decide, okay, you know what, I'm going to do this in order to earn an additional income. So the key is to do some research, ask questions, ask your mentors, ask people who you really trust. Do you think that this is something that's marketable? Find a mentor. Building another stream of income is not something that's going to happen overnight, but it's going to take a lot of hard work and discipline. I mean, if we could spend a lot of time on Netflix, why can't we spend time, you know, educating ourselves and empowering ourselves? All right. So let's get into the heart string, right? Let's get into the heart string of this. Yes, sir. You talk about giving your money purpose. And you know, yeah. we love, you know, these days we love to talk about <laughs> finding our purpose. All right. Yes. Giving your money purpose and direction. What does this look like, Melinda? Let's, you know, just, mm-hmm. let's just take this nebulous concept and just kind of bring it to life. Sure. Essentially what Kevin is talking about, giving your money purpose <laughs> and direction <laughs> is financial leadership. So let's say you're the CEO of a company and you have a vision for the company to be profitable. And there are different departments. There's HR, there's accounting, there's marketing, there's manufacturing. So you each give them a task. This is what I want you to do. And once everybody does their task, then the company becomes profitable. So essentially with financial leadership, you are telling your money what to do, not allowing your money to tell you what to do. And that's what I used to do. Allow my money to tell me what to do. So I've learned so much. I always say that businesses are birth a business owner's personal experience. So I would have learned a lot and I'm still learning a lot about myself. Okay. So if you want a clear direction as to where it is that you're looking to do, what you want to do is give your money purpose. And that's via goal setting. Now, the thing about goal setting is that I think people think that everything has to happen all at once. And that's not possible. Let's be realistic. 
I remember, well, these past couple of days, I was journaling because we're about to embark onto uh, another decade. And I'm thinking, what is it that I want to see for myself in this decade? And I just wrote down everything. But then I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to break this down by year. What am I going to do to ensure that I get closer to seeing what I want to see within these 10 years happen? Know that I'm not trying to make everything happen by the end of 2020 next year. That's not possible. But what I'm looking to do is to create strategic steps to get to where it is that I want to be. So you can choose to break your grand vision because we all have visions, okay? So we break our vision into bite-sized pieces. Now, there are three types of goals. There are short-term goals, which occur within a year or less. There are intermediate-term goals, which occur within two to five years. And then there are long-term goals that happen over six-plus years. So what you want to do when you're thinking about your life, especially when you're thinking about the next decade, what is it that I would like to happen within a year? What is it that I would like to happen within two to five years? What is it that I would like to happen, you know, six-plus years? I just wanted to include some examples just to give people some tangibility, if that's a word. That's fine. Yeah. That's okay. So an example of a short-term goal would be, okay, I want to travel. I want to go overseas. Mm -hmm. So the wonderful thing about how we would have learned in terms of the goal setting is that it's important to know how much it would cost to accomplish that goal. Because sometimes we, we know what it is we want to accomplish, but we don't give ourselves a deadline. And then also... Yeah, a deadline, and then we don't know how much it's going to cost us. So it's really important to ensure that you know exactly when it is you would like to accomplish. So if you're looking to travel, that's something that's good. If you're looking to study an online course, that's a short-term goal as well. Something that doesn't have to cost you like 1000 US. I mean, there are courses online out there that you could register on. Intermediate term, you could look at home ownership. You could look at owning your own investment property. You could look at actually starting your own investment portfolio, like actually purchasing investments. And uh, over the long term, could be your children's college education, retirement. So those will be the sort of goals that you will find under those categories. Lovely. All right. So I want to get into this sort of bonus round here, right? Sure. Building a business with zero dollars, right? So you won't be able to, to think, hey, maybe we could, I could build a business tomorrow. I have no money. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> so just kind of map out for me. How do we build a business with zero dollars? What are the first things we need to do? Well, the first thing you need to do, like I said, I think I mentioned it earlier, yep. is identifying what your natural abilities are. Because I would have gone through an exercise with a young group of people. I think it was I Am A Girl Barbados and I was invited to speak. So what I did was that I helped them create a business plan without them knowing that they were creating a business plan. Love it. <laughs> right? Because much like when you're planning your personal finances, you need a, a financial plan to do it. And remember guys, you don't need to have money in order to have a financial plan. How else will you know what to do with your money when you finally get it? It's the same thing with planning your business. What would be my plan when I start getting money from your business? How am I going to make money? Where am I going to put back money? So what you want to do is to identify what your natural abilities are, like I mentioned earlier. What would you do with it? 
what would be the solutions that you would be offering with your natural abilities? Who are you targeting? It's not everybody. And I learned that the hard way when I was building the company. Um, I was working with a marketing person and it's through the youth entrepreneurship scheme here in Barbados. And yes, I had a couple of mentors there. And she asked me, who is your ideal client? I said, everybody. She's like, no, you're wrong. And I'm like, what? (laughs) But I needed to hear that. (laughs) Right. So she told me who would be my client, ideal client. So you really, really need to figure out like, who would you offer the solutions to? Like, what does your ideal customer look like? Where would they live? You know, what's their age group? And how will you get the word out? Because if nobody knows what it is you're good at and what you could offer, then it's a lost cause. Okay. So, and then another thing also what you want to look at is who you will partner with, because that's very strategic. Because be careful who you pick to do business with. They could either help you elevate or they could help you sink. So, All of what I said, I don't think would cost a lot of money, especially if you're starting a company with zero dollars, because it's really important to have a business plan, how you're going to make money, who you're going to partner with, what you're going to offer and how you're going to get the word out there. It's really, really important. So when you don't have the money, you need to have the time. Yes, you need to make the time. So let's get the brain juices flowing a little bit, right? So Uh in terms of... um deciding who you are targeting right how do you go about deciding on who you're targeting because i mean everybody could just be like what you said but i want to talk to everybody i want the whole world to buy from me i want the whole world to be my clients but how do you decide specifically who you are targeting what's the process there okay so if i could talk about my transition from facebook to instagram and how i transitioned from talking from a company please Yes, I created my company, Ashrape Finance, okay? And I saw other companies like Sachikor and those big firms talking to people. So I thought that I could do the same thing that they were doing. And when you're trying to define what your target market is, you're going to fail forward, if you get what I'm saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're going to fail forward, okay? So it's a matter of testing the waters. It's a matter of putting yourself out there. It's a matter of trying different things. And I then realized that people need someone to talk to them. They don't need companies talking to them. So that's how Money Matters with Melinda came to be on Instagram. Now, how that came to be was because I was featured in a newspaper article and they asked me different questions about my life story, how I came into business and all that stuff. And then they called me the Money Matters Angel. I'm like, huh? Money Matters Angel? Okay, fine. And then when I remember I mentioned earlier when I connected with my brilliance and intelligence, mm-hmm. then a door opened for me to go on CBC, which is our local news station. And I was invited on their morning segment. Morning Barbados, a friend of mine referred me. Again, there is that referral. All right. Because you can't do business on your own, folks. Good. So I was invited to talk about money and then they just started calling my segment Money Matters with Melinda because it rhymes, you know, it's my name. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's when I realized that, okay, there are people that want to talk to someone. They want someone talking to them, someone who's not judging them, someone who's learned things along the way, who's still learning, who's willing to share information, right? 
and who's probably within my age category because I'm 36. But I find that when I look at, see the demographic of people that are looking on my profile, their age ranges are like, you know, their late 20s to early 40s. So I transitioned from Facebook, Ashtrape, to Instagram, Money Matters with Melinda. So I do have a growing following there. And I realized that there were more people on Instagram who are looking for services. And honestly, I do get more of my clients from there, from that platform. So it's just a matter of putting yourself out there. And it's not going to happen just like that. You need to provide content. You need to provide information. Um, You need to get over your shy self like I did and just put your face out there. So yeah, that's how I came to understood. So the services you offer, I'm surprised that that you're leaning uh, most heavily towards Instagram rather than a LinkedIn. Like, why is that strategically? Why is that? Actually, I'm starting to venture into LinkedIn. Ah, okay. So I'm on Instagram, but I actually started posting my YouTube videos on LinkedIn. So I'm trying to get into that market now as well. But so it's just that that you feel more comfortable on um, Instagram, but is it that you just have all these nice photos that you could expose with a, <laughs> what's happening? It is more of recognizing my value and I know the value of what I offer. So I know that there there's another demographic that would benefit from this. So it's just a matter of transitioning onto another platform. So it just means that I'm recognizing it more and more. Okay. So other than on Instagram, where mm-hmm. where can we find you, Melinda? Where can we find Astrapi Finance? How do we engage you for your services? Sure. You can WhatsApp me on 246-231-1385. You can contact me there or you can contact me by email, Melinda, M-E-L-I-N-D-A at A-S. T-R-A-P-E finance.com astrapefinance.com or you can visit my website www.astrapefinance.com and also on Instagram. I have Money Matters with Melinda. That's the finance one and then the Melinda Goals Global. That's my personal one. It's a, it's just my personal Instagram. Okay, Melinda. So as we get ready to wrap up, here, I want to know if you have it is anything that we didn't cover today that you want to make sure and get out to our audience. You have open mic, open forum, open platform. Go right ahead. Sure. So some of you may be intimidated by the idea of budgeting. And if it's not something that you've normally practiced or if something that you've probably failed at, don't be discouraged. If you want to get a better idea as to how your money should be spent or where your money is going, track your spending for a month. I don't want you to be perfect. I don't want you to think as though somebody is looking over your shoulder. You're trying to get to the bottom of why is it that I don't have any money? Where is the money going? So you keep track of all the coffees you may buy. Um, You keep track of whatever it is that you buy on a monthly basis or weekly basis. And once you tally up those things and you know where your money is going, then you'll be able to make certain adjustments. So you will be able to see, okay, I spend this amount of money on gas, which is variable because it's something that you can't really control or predict. You'll realize that you spend money on groceries. Again, groceries is variable, meaning that, you know, you don't spend the same amount every month. That's what I mean by that. 
you may realize that, okay, I'm spending this amount of money on my nails or I'm spending most of this amount of money on fixing my car all the time. But the point is, is that you want to know where your numbers are going. And if you need help with that, I have a video on my Instagram profile, Money Matters with Melinda, that talks about tracking your numbers. So you could actually see um, the process that, you know, you could take in order to get to know your numbers better. It's because it's important to know yourself and it's important to know your numbers also. Podcast World, there you have it. My Money and Me with Melinda Bell. Subscribe to Caribbean Power Lunch at CaribbeanPowerLunch.com slash subscribe. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And with that, Podcast World, Melinda. Yes. <laughs> we are out. <laughs> <laughs>